Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today for episode 382, my guest is Gary Leland. Now, some of you already know Gary. He is an entrepreneur. He is also an author, and he's also the founder and organizer of BitBlock Boom, which is a very well-known Bitcoin conference in the US. So Gary rejoins me, and we're talking about orange-pilling people, whether they are everyday individuals or state senators. And we talk a bit about the process of writing Bitcoin and the American American dream, as well as what we can expect with BitBlock Boom coming up at the end of August this year. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the easy way to buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin. Swan takes education about Bitcoin seriously, so this is a great way for you to get started by stacking some sats and also receiving some Bitcoin content from the team at Swan. Swan also has excellent customer service, and so the testimonials and reviews coming back from customers is always excellent when they mention the support they got from the Swan support team. So if you want an easy way to get started stacking, go to swan.com slash Levera and you'll get $10 of Bitcoin when you sign up and start stacking with Swan. And for those of you looking for a Bitcoin hardware signing device, you can look at the cold card by coinkite.com. The cold card looks like a little calculator, but you can plug it directly into your computer or you can use an SD card to move things back and forth. And you can use it easily with wallets like Spectre Desktop or Sparrow or Electrum. And the cold card is really versatile and very well regarded and recommended in the industry. Now, CoinKite also have a new product. It's a gift card. So if you want to give the gift of cold card to your friends, but you don't want to deal with the hassle of mailing it to them, just go and buy the cold card gift card, give them a code, and they can then go redeem that themselves on the store. So it saves you that time and effort of having to mail it to your friends. Let the CoinKite team do that for you. So that website is coinkite.com. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin. Now, there are different ways you can get involved with this. On one side, if you have Bitcoin and you don't want to sell, then you can engage in this loan by putting up some Bitcoin in an over-collateralized loan. You get stablecoins, and then at the end, you pay that back with the interest, and you receive your Bitcoin back. Now, on the other hand, if you have stablecoins, you can lend them out and earn some returns. So with Lend at HodlHodl, this is a peer-to-peer platform. So you go there and you put up an offer, or you accept an offer that's already there on the platform. And don't forget, HodlHodl are also the operators of Baltic Honey Badger. So that's coming up in September. The website for that is BalticHoneyBadger.com. And if you're interested in Lent at HodlHodl, that's Lent.HodlHodl.com. Gary, welcome back to the show. Hey, long time no see. Well, I, actually, I don't know. I, did I see you in Miami? I can't remember. Actually, I saw so many people. Yeah, I'm actually not sure. But uh, definitely, I uh, you know enjoyed. I had a great time at BitBlock Boom last year. And uh, definitely, I'm looking forward to it again this year. And I know you've been, you know, doing a bunch of things in the space, and I think probably recently you've were part of the book team putting out this book. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about this book you wrote? Yeah, it's um, Bitcoin and the American Dream. There's a copy of it right there. We put this together. Gosh, it was a, a group effort. There were eight of us on the book: Jimmy Song, Lamar Wilson, C.J. Wilson, Amanda Cavaliarity. I know I'm pronouncing your last name wrong. But there were a bunch of us on this book, and we did it in like five days. So it was quite a, a book sprint, I think is what it's called. So it was quite a um, something I have never gone through before. And after doing it, I probably wouldn't go through it again for another year. Um, I'd, have, <laughs> I'd have to forget about how much time that took. But it was a great experience, met some great friends, and I think we came up with a great book. It takes about 
an hour and a half. You can read it on a flight. I think it was basically designed so when people are trying to orange pull someone, especially someone in government, um, they can leave it with them and have a little tool to leave behind that they're trying to orange pill if you're visiting a senator or a congressman or a local politician or anyone as far as that goes. Um, but it was specifically made for politicians. Um, it, we had our, our the group of people who wrote it were pretty wide spectrum. We had liberals, we had conservatives, we had blacks, whites, Asians. I mean, old. That was where I fell in <laughs> and young. <laughs> so it, it covered. It was written by a wide demographic of people to give um, everybody's thoughts, and everybody worked on every chapter. So it um, took a lot of uh, was a lot of editing and re-editing and re-editing and re-editing to uh, come up with the final book. But I think it's a great book. Everybody who I know this read it has said it's a great book. And uh, like I said, it's, a, it's just a tool is what it is. And it was designed to be a tool. I think CJ and Amanda and uh, Jimmy, they're spending a lot of time with their BTC task force calling on politicians and stuff, trying to orange pill. And they wanted something to leave behind. You know, something so when they got through, they could say, here, let's, let me leave this with you. This is something that you can read. And um, something that's not too complicated, they, they would go, well, I'm not reading that. That take me all week to read. You know, so it was short and sweet and to the point on purpose. Now, we had a opening party, I guess, a book release party in Washington, D.C., and Senator Lummis was there. And a lot of staffers were there. I mean, a lot of staffers. And I think that was one of the thoughts is that if we invited staffers, because it was on a Friday and politicians are all gone back home, you know, from D.C., Thursday's the last day and they're out of Dodge. But the thought was that if you can get it into the hands of the staffers, they might read it. And then if their boss, a senator or a congressman they work for, it goes, what in the hell is this deal with this Bitcoin? Who knows anything about this? You know, they would be educated besides what they just hear, the FUD they hear. And maybe the staffer could go, hey, I'm kind of familiar with it. I read a book about it, you know. So that was kind of goal was by educating the staffers, you know, they could educate the senators and congressmen. Yeah, I see that because I can understand that in order to influence some of these people who have power in the current system, you might have to go through their gatekeepers. And in some cases, it's their staffers who are the ones who are actually feeding them the points and writing up the memos and doing various things in their office for them, managing their even their public uh, appearances and things. So, or, or at least giving them the info that they need to know. So I think probably one area that people are going to be thinking is, well, what's the use of engaging with the politicians, the senators, the congressmen and women? Why is that an important thing in your view, Gary? Well, politicians are going to get involved with this no matter how you look at it. Um, whether it's because they're scared of it or they want to make money off of it or they're getting paid to do something good or bad. So they're going to get involved. It's just the way our society works. They try to control everything. I mean, they try to some people say they can try try to control every element of your life. So I, I can hardly believe that people think they won't try to control something as profitable and as world changing as Bitcoin to either shut it down or take advantage of it. I think the main thing, as I said with the book, is at least to give them real information from our point of view as to what Bitcoin is and how it works and what it can do. So they have, they're not just listening to FUD. 
you know, so, but yeah, I agree that uh, Bitcoin will prosper and will grow no matter whether politicians want to stop it or not. Um, I think maybe it's past the point of being stopped. I know a lot of people say that, and I pretty much agree. I guess you could cut off the internet. I mean, you know, but how long do you want it to take? I mean, you see a lot of people now, you know, a lot of all the exchanges, I mean, for the most part, are doing KYC, know your customer laws. They're already obeying the laws because they know that Congress and Senate are going to get involved. The government's going to get involved. I mean, if they didn't think they were going to get involved, they wouldn't be going through all that. So um, it's just a, a matter of time before they get more and more involved. And anything we can do to get them on our side will be helpful. Yeah, sure. And in the book, you also spell out some of the different types of people who are in the Bitcoin user base and potentially even Bitcoin voter base, if you want to call it that. Like, so for example, you say there's developers, there's blue collar workers, there's small business owners, there's millennials, there's boomers, there's Gen Z, there's all these different categories. So do you want to speak to that a little bit about this idea of the Bitcoin voter and who are they? What kind of person are they? Well, I think anybody can be a Bitcoin voter, but I think a great example of creating Bitcoin voters or people who are Bitcoin voters are in this, is in the city of Rockdale, Texas. I mean, in Rockdale, Texas, you have Riot Blockchain has come in there and taken over an old Alcoa plant in a city that when Alcoa left, it left it jobless. There were no jobs. Everybody was leaving. Everything had shut down. Now Riot Blockchain has come in and the town is a, a growing town, a prosperous town. I mean, the people who live in that town probably... I would think are all Bitcoin voters, whether they're the manual laborers who now are building houses because people are moving to Rockdale or remodeling their houses, or the people who didn't have a job and now they're doing tech work out at Riot Blockchain's plant, uh, installing new miners or taking care of the ones that are in existence, the shop owners, you know, because now the city's prosperous and they have people coming in. Uh, we're taking a tour out there in August, taking two chartered buses out there. So that little barbecue restaurant out there is going to make like five grand off of me. You know, he'd have never made five grand off of me that day if it wasn't for, because we're feeding everybody. That's why he's making five grand, I guess I ought to say that. But that's just an example. If it wasn't for Bitcoin, he'd never be making that money off of me, you know, and he'd never have those extra people that are living there, you know, that want lunch every day. So I, I would think, it's such a wide array of who the Bitcoin voter is. And I'm just using that town because that's the town I think that you can use as a good example. It had nothing going on because Alcoa left. Nothing. It was a dying town for the most part. Now it's a prosperous town. And I would, like I said, I'd have to think everybody who lives there is feeling the effect of Bitcoin. And if you're anti-Bitcoin in that town, you're probably going to be run out of town on the rail, I would think. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting as well that it really can appeal to this broad base. And I think the other point as well that came through in this book for me when I was reading it is this appeal to American values. And so I think that's an important idea and approach. So can you tell us a little bit about that aspect of the book, this idea that you are spelling out why in some ways Bitcoin is just like in line with American values? Well, I think it's in line with American dream. I mean, it really is. And the values are part of the American dream. You know, there's, there, there was a concept that everybody pretty much believed in at one time, that if you put in your time and you dedicated time, you got a value for it. And there was opportunity for everybody. 
then that opportunity started slowly disappearing. People became less dependent on putting in their time to be for money, to be taken care of by the state. But I think Bitcoin is a perfect example of, like I said, putting in the time and taking care of yourself and that anyone can be prosperous and anyone can have the American dream. You know, we cover in the book that a lot of people maybe were left out of the American dream. Sure, there's always been an American dream, but a lot of people were left out of the American dream um, because of maybe skin color or language or where they came from. They just didn't have the same opportunities that maybe I had. I grew up poor, but maybe I had an extra opportunity because I was white, spoke English fluently, mean very well, and was partially educated, you know, where someone else wouldn't. Now, anyone, no matter what your situation is, can put money away in Bitcoin and realize the American dream. You know, let's face it, if you are a guy with five kids working at minimum wage, you know, living maybe with your another family even, you're in a pretty tough situation. You're not in the same situation I'm in. And if you walk into Fidelity saying, I want to start a retirement program, I got $10 a month I can put in that retirement program, just isn't going to happen. You can't save for the future and you can't build wealth that you can pass down to your descendants, which is the American dream. I think everybody wants, not everybody, most people want to be successful and rich, but I think everybody wants to help their lineage of people on their downstream, their kids, their grandkids, and would like to pass on wealth. And they'd love to pass on generational wealth. But that's never been the thing that a lot of people had an opportunity for. Now with Bitcoin, they do. Whether they can invest $10 a week, $5 a week, $10 a month, whatever. Like I said, there's nowhere else they can use that to invest and realize that American dream. Now they do for the first time, maybe ever. And no one can take it from them is the thing. You know, as pointed out to me, this was a very... Strong learning experience for me between uh, Charlene Federipo and Lamar Wilson, um, our two black contributors. I found out a lot of things that I didn't know um, about Jim Crow laws. I remember Jim Crow laws, but I never knew what Jim Crow laws were. When I was a little kid, I remember there were like white bathrooms and black bathrooms. You know, I was like maybe four or five, but uh, I didn't see a lot of it. But I do remember that. But they told me a lot of things that had happened to black communities where wealth had started being built. There was a city somewhere in Oklahoma, I believe, that they had the Black Wall Street and wealth was being created and it was all burnt down. The whole city was just burnt down, you know, because of, uh, I guess, white people being upset the black people were doing good. I don't know. This was before my time. So now with Bitcoin, no one can take your wealth like they did then. You can build that wealth and no one can take it. And that's a big thing that no one can take your wealth away from you and can come and make you give it to them unless you, unless you give it to them. So I don't know if I, I think I did a dance around a lot of things there. Yeah, of course. And uh, as you said, some of these do touch on social issues, things like, as you mentioned, Jim Crow laws, redlining and things like this that make it hard for an individual to save or invest. And actually, this is another point I, I recall from the book, you were talking about the difference between a wealthy saver and the average everyday person, because the the wealthy person can more easily access things like real estate investment, stock right. investment, even credit to access those kinds of investments. Whereas a person who is not a wealthy saver 
might not have an easy time of that. And obviously with Bitcoin, that's part of the message. It's all about stacking sats. It's all about holding your own wealth in your own hands. So I think that's obviously a strong message there also. I think one other point that probably some people are thinking is, and I'm just genuinely curious to see what you think as well, because it seems in the Bitcoin community, there's a sense of, you know, we want Bitcoin to be this bipartisan thing, right? That we don't want it to just sort of become all one-sided. But then on the other hand, part of me is thinking, is that a wishful thinking? Or is it like, do you, do we see it like maybe one side of politics will see the point of Bitcoin more so than another? And will that have an impact on the way Bitcoin develops? And will it become a political football? I'm curious your thoughts on any of that. I think Bitcoin's possible. Of, it's possible that both sides could uh, embrace Bitcoin because I think, you know, for instance, the people who are wanting to make money are into personal freedoms can see that side of Bitcoin. But I think the people who, and I'm not saying either party is more than the other, but then there are also people who are more worried about social programs and helping the people who are disadvantaged. Bitcoin can help them. I mean, there's so many things that Bitcoin fixes. Of course, you're going to have people on both sides that are not in favor of it. But there are so many things that it fixes that I think it's very possible that both sides could finally get together on something and agree that uh, Bitcoin should continue as is. Um, maybe I'm just hoping, you know, but like I said, Bitcoin, this, this thing goes, Bitcoin fixes this. And there are a lot of things that need fixing, you know, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an independent, you got to agree. There's a lot of things that need fixing. Yeah. And I'm so with you there. If, it, you know, if it can fix something that you need, you may not mind if it's fixes something else at the same time that you're not worried about. You know, that's not a thing. You don't hate it. You don't, you don't, you don't hate that there's social reform. I mean, you know, you're just maybe that's not one of your your buttons. You yeah, know, you don't not your hate priority. that people can yeah. save money finally now, but maybe that's not your button. You know, so I, I think it could be a open thing that a lot of people from both sides could get into. But then again, uh, when people are hearing that FUD, you know, that all they hear about mining is that it's bad because it's burning up more energy than a small country. And they don't consider the amount of energy the existing monetary system burns up. You know, uh, which is way, way more Christmas lights burn up more electricity than Bitcoin mining does. I mean, and they aren't trying to ban Christmas lights. Probably washers are dryers, definitely. In the United States, my people who use dryers probably is more than the whole Bitcoin mining across the entire planet. And they aren't saying, let's everybody hang our clothes on the line. Um, so it's just a matter of getting the correct information into their hands, which, again, like I said, that was the goal of this book. Maybe you know, in a small way, it does. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. The answer is about education and getting the right message out there to people. And so as well, I'm curious as well, in your travels and your journeys, have you had any experiences with trying to orange pill politicians, senators, congressmen and congresswomen or congresspeople? Yeah, I have. My first, uh, I guess, politician I orange pilled was... Uh, state congressman in Texas. Uh, I went down there for something and we spent a long time talking and he continued talking to me on Facebook. I gave him a link to Swan, told him to start uh, buying weekly uh, dollar cost averaging. And next thing I knew, he said, hey, I bought $10,000 worth today and I've moved up my dollar cost averaging. You know, I'm not trying to, I like Swan, don't get me wrong, I want to be real upfront. 
Um, I'm invested in Swan and uh, I was uh, one of the advisors, early advisors on Swan. So I am promoting it, but any dollar cost averaging system could have the same effect uh, that that did. But I find that the easiest way for me to orange pill people is to just talk them into, and you can talk them into doing it real quick while you're there with them, into setting up an account where they can dollar cost average. And like I said, I always send them to Swan and get them to do 10, 20, 50 bucks, whatever they can afford to do. You know, I've had people that, uh, like my sister, she's 70, I think. She started dollar cost averaging and she's been doing it for two years now and things like that. But I've also had people like a guy I knew since second grade. He bought Bitcoin in 2017. I talked him into it finally. He went in and bought $1,000 worth at Coinbase. All this time went by. He never looked at it again, never bought any more Bitcoin ever. And I called him up and I said uh, last year and said, hey, are you keeping up with what's going on with Bitcoin? This was when it was moving, you know, had moved from 10 and it was passing 25. He goes, no, I hadn't looked at it since I talked to you. And I said, well, look at your Bitcoin and Coinbase and let's talk tomorrow. And he said, okay. And I called him back the next day. He goes, wow, I did pretty good on that. I said, yeah. And I said, you need to start getting more of it. It's going to be, uh, you're going to be very happy you did. So I talked to him and he used his swan. He's my age, a year older than me. So he's 68. I think he started out with $10, $20 a month. And like five months later, he called me back and goes, hey, I just want to let you know I bought $10,000 worth today. I was like, wow, I told you to start dollar cost averaging, dude. Move that up and goes, well, I think I understand it now. Then I had another friend I did the same exact thing with, got him into dollar cost averaging. And I think he was doing 100, 200 a week. He makes more money than my older friend does. He called me up two months later and goes, hey, Gary, I want to let you know I bought $100,000 today. So (laughs) I've found that orange pilling people by getting them to start dollar cost averaging is the best thing you can do instead of spending all this time trying to explain mining to them and how wallets work and all this stuff to start dollar cost averaging them. Because then, and I've said this my whole life on stuff, you got some skin in the game. And once you got some skin in the game, you start paying attention. Now, Robert, my friend since second grade, has skin in the game in 2017, but he just made a purchase that wasn't that big a deal to him and never looked at it again. But when he was having skin in the game on a regular basis, you know, because when you dollar cost average, you're getting your email saying, hey, you just bought $10 worth. And with Swan, you're getting information from people like yourself, maybe blogs or articles, you know, telling them more about it. So, oh, I really don't know that much about Bitcoin and I'm putting money in every week. Let me read this article. You know, so they start getting educated and they start buying Bitcoin. So to me, that is the I'm sure everybody has their own method. But to me, that is the easiest way is to get them dollar cost averaging. And like I said, I think Swan, like I said, I want to be up front. I'm involved with them, but I think they're the best way because of the educational tools that they offer to the holders of uh, people who are dollar cost averaging. Well, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's my, that's my orange pill story. But also, you know, recently, I don't know if I'm at the point I can say the state yet, because this is even a much better story on the original question about politicians, is I was invited to go to a state to talk to some members of the Senate about Bitcoin. They invited me up and then it turns out they, I said, the head of the Senate in that state invited me and he had his top, I guess, eight lieutenants there that he had put in place over the years. 
And he, I said, why did you pick me, you know, out of all the people? Because he had mining machines. You know, he knew Bitcoin. He had two uh, mining machines at his uh, plant. And uh, maybe he was older than me. Maybe he was 70. And he said, well, I picked you because you were a boomer. And I figured you could relate. My people would relate more to you than some kid. And so I brought uh, Amanda with me. And we went up there on a Friday afternoon, ate dinner. And then Saturday, we spent most of the day in a conference room with these eight uh, senators and him. And they had copies of our books. And he had taken the books and highlighted what he wanted everybody to read and said, hey, read these chapters and pages I've marked. So they had kind of an understanding. We spent all day, or not all day, most of the day, talking to them, uh, giving them a presentation on Bitcoin and the book. Now, the goal of this state, this is why I don't want to say who it was, because I'm not sure if um, I can say that they have billions on their balance sheet. They call them Biden bucks because they've gotten so much money given to them. And as, as they put it, I don't think they put it as simple as I'm putting it, but they normally would just piss all this away, you know, on stuff. And uh, they didn't say it that way, but that's the way I'm saying it. And so now he's wanting to put $500 million on the state's balance sheet and uh, have it not only on the state's balance sheet, but make it so it could be locked up for 10 years. But as he spoke and said, that doesn't mean it would stay locked up for 10 years. You know, they could pass a law or a bill to undo you know, what had been done. But that's his goal is to um, have... $500 million worth of Bitcoin put on the state balance sheet. And uh, he feels that that will not only save things like the teachers' retirement fund. You know, they have a fund for the retirement funds for teachers and police and uh, state workers and stuff, which is so underground right now, so in the red, that this is maybe the only kind of thing that could save it. And they said, and it's just a small pittance of what we have. We still got plenty of money left to piss away that they gave us. So that's his goal. So we'll see how that comes along, how this working. Uh, as time tells. But like I said, he hasn't, I haven't seen an announcement on that yet. I have seen them doing some stuff uh, behind the scenes and some meetings and stuff and Senate stuff, but not that announcement made. So I don't want to shoot the gun and uh, announce that too early. So we'll just say it's a state. Back to the show in a moment. If you're looking for an easy way to set up your Bitcoin node in the cloud, if you are trying to be a merchant or if you are building a Bitcoin business and you need a lightning solution, Voltage can help you. They are an enterprise-grade solution for those of you who want to integrate lightning but you don't want it to be really difficult. Voltage makes it really easy for you. You can scale nodes instantly by the thousands. You can get quality liquidity easily and much more. What was once a headache is now simplified. So go and get a node up and running in two minutes by visiting voltage.cloud. If you are in the Bitcoin mining game, you've got to check out Brains.com. Now, Brains are the creators of Brains OS Plus. This is aftermarket custom firmware that you can install on your ASIC mining machine. And depending on what model you've got, you might be able to improve your efficiency by as much as 25%. So this is definitely worth your while to look into and explore. You are simply leaving sats on the table if you're not looking into this. So that website is brains.com and they've also got Brains Farm Proxy. So this can help those of you who are operating a fleet of miners and you want to be able to manage and configure your fleet of miners. You can do things like configure parallel usage of multiple pools. You can designate backup pools. You can control aggregated operational management dashboards and more. So you can find all of this over at the website brains.com. 
With Bitcoin, we have to think about removing single points of failure and Unchained Capital can help you with this. They have a multi-signature solution. They call it collaborative custody. So you can bring two hardware wallets or signing devices and Unchained will be that third key for you. Now, if you need assistance, they've got a concierge onboarding program where you can pay upfront. They will ship you the hardware wallets. They'll do a call with you, teach you how to use it and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. Now, Unchained Capital will provide some ongoing support and they're putting out a whole range of educational content and so this can be an easy way for you to take away those single points of failure and give yourself that peace of mind. That website is unchained.com slash concierge. Use the code Levera for a discount there. Back to the show with Gary. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very interesting to see. And, uh, you know, at the same time, it's like Bitcoin is going to be adopted by all kinds of people who have all kinds of their own their own reasons for it. And people who disagree with each other are still going to hold want to hold Bitcoin for their own reasons. And so... Yeah, it's really interesting to well, see they that. Also think, yeah. They think that it also not only saved that fund, they think it'll show that this state is in favor of tech and help make them a tech hub in that area. So they see a multi-purpose out of this. Yeah, maybe the financial part of it could save that fund, but maybe by moving into this, this would make them a tech hub or Bitcoin hub or whatever, and they would bring in jobs, high-paying jobs. So they're, they're doing it for a dual full reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's interesting to see that the different moves that different states are making. So for example, people might have been following and seeing that New York state has been making various moves about potentially stopping Bitcoin mining. And then on the other hand, you've got Texas that's very pro, pro Bitcoin mining. Yeah, they and love so, it here. Right. And so it's Fort kind Worth of a, over there just started mining in the uh, city capital, yeah. the, the city uh, capital, Fort Worth over there. They have two S9s in the basement running. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's things start small and then they build up, really. So, and it the messaging matters that there are some states and some governments who are very pro Bitcoin, and then if they are holding some Bitcoin, they will also want to help grow the pie, right? They don't want to just send the asset down; they want the ecosystem to grow, more people to come into it, and so on. So, it might help from that point of view, from a beneficial laws and regulations point of view, because as Bitcoiners, we obviously. What do we care about? We care about being able to hold our keys, being able to run our Bitcoin node, being able to do business with Bitcoin, um, being able to do Bitcoin mining. And so these are generally the things that Bitcoin voters will care about and want. And so anything that will help that aspect of it, it might be a useful point of view. And I'm curious as well, with some of these things around orange pilling an institution or a company or an organization, in some cases, it starts with the individuals inside that company or organization, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. It starts with people who are working there, actually, talking. And I mean, I tried to, I was, I've been working on the city I live in for a couple of years now. It's funny, I can go all the way up to another state to do this, but I can't make any headway here with the city I live in. You know, um, so I'm, I'm really kind of at a stump there. But a city over here, five miles away, is moving on it. So maybe that's going to open. You know, over here in Fort Worth, just to be clear, and in Texas, there's a law in Texas. Uh, regulations, I guess I need to say, as to what a city can hold on their treasury sheet, on their balance sheet. And uh, as I was explained to it while trying to orange pill Arlington, Texas, it's a very old set of regulations. So, of course, Bitcoin is not on there. So a city in Texas cannot legally have Bitcoin on their balance sheet or invest in Bitcoin um, until that set of regulations has changed. Over in Fort Worth, for example, they're mining Bitcoin on these three machines, but or two machines, however many it is, but they're cashing that into dollars. I see. So um, it's a step, 
But everybody shouldn't think that, oh my gosh, they're investing in Bitcoin. Uh, they're not. They're yeah. mining the Bitcoin on S9s that were loaned to them. And then they're, uh, but it's still great news. I see it all the time. Fort Worth, Texas is mining Bitcoin. No one says, oh, they're mining Bitcoin, but they're selling it. You know, so they're they're not stacking sats, but they are mining Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah so that is a step. So until yeah. that law changes in Texas, are those regulations, you know, like they can hold gold, they can hold socks, they can hold bonds, blah, blah, blah. But of course, if it's that old law, Bitcoin's not going to be on it. But somebody inside of there got them those machines. Right. 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 It wasn't the mayor. She didn't know what Bitcoin was. She just say, hey, if you know anyone can loan us some machines. Somebody somewhere inside of there said, hey, we got a lot of uh, it's in a like a, you know, a closed off, cool computer room, you know, in the basement of the uh, city capital. So somebody said, hey, you know, we got all this stuff down here. We could put some Bitcoin miners down there and get some press out of it. And, so, and someone listened. So you're right. Yeah. And on top of that, I think that it was also perhaps part of the answer why we see some entities who are buying, say, stocks that have like a Bitcoin proxy, right? Like buying micro strategy right. stock or buying some of the Bitcoin mining stocks, the public mining stocks, because maybe they can't get exposure directly. So they have to use some of these alternative means that are obviously not as good as obviously holding <laughs> cold hard sats on your on your hardware wallet uh but better than nothing i suppose um well, and, i mean yeah. isn't micro strategies like holding a bitcoin etf that's as close as you're going to get i mean and like like uh, michael says uh, sailor says if you're invested in that company you aren't surprised it was happening you're invested because you want to be invested in a company that holds that much bitcoin you know, that's the only reason you're invested in micro strategies now. It's, he's had Bitcoin on his balance sheet so long. It's not like it's a surprise to anyone. He's got Bitcoin? I'm out of here, you know? So, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think everybody got a chance to get out of there before it even happened. So that is, a matter of fact, uh, in all fairness and be a friend again, I'm invested in micro strategies. You know, I moved some of my uh, traditional assets into micro strategies instead of, uh, yeah, my wife won't let me put all our money in Bitcoin, even though we've got a fair amount. So I've like snuck it around and it's still in my Ameriprise account, but it's in some of it's in micro strategies now and Marathon and Riot blockchain and, you know, things like that. So I'm pretty right, much Yeah, different ways Bitcoin, to get exposure. Except my house. <laughs> and she won't let me mortgage that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can understand. I think it's, you know, the uh, the mortgage your house or only rent, it may be a young man's game for that uh, as opposed to, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think part of it also is growing the Bitcoin scene. And uh, as we mentioned, it's getting those individuals into Bitcoin and then they will then often get their institution or whatever thing they're working with into Bitcoin also. And so, you know, part of that is books, podcast material out there and part of that is events as well so let's chat a little bit about bitblock boom uh, i love the conference and uh maybe you can give us all uh, an idea of what's coming this time around with bitblock boom well bitblock boom has um, really taken off this year this is our fifth year it's always been in addison texas which is a subdivision or a neighboring city of north of dallas this up in north dallas area and we've had a very successful event over the years people People love it. I mean, that come. It's not like anyone. I don't have a lot of people go, man, that really kind of sucked. You know, I mean, everybody loves it and talks highly of it. I just tried to put together the kind of Bitcoin conference I wanted to go to. And now this year we've moved to Austin, Texas, which is, you know, some people say different places are different kind of hubs. Like, for instance, I think Miami is a cryptocurrency hub. 
But I think Austin, Texas is the Bitcoin hub. I mean, that is the hub of Bitcoin. So we moved it to Austin, Texas, because I started studying the conference to make it better. And, you know, if you were to rate a conference on scale one to 10, you'd have different categories like the speakers, one to 10, the entertainment, one to 10, and one would be location, one to 10. And Addison was a four or three. Now I've got maybe a nine going to Austin, Texas. And it's really shown the sponsors have really jumped on board. So have the tickets we've sold by far more tickets than we've ever sold before. So that's where we're at on the conference itself. Now the conference, I've done kind of like a buffet. Uh, Not many people do a buffet method conference like I do. Uh, The people who work for me hate the buffet method because it makes check-in really hard. But uh, you don't have to buy a full conference ticket at BitBlock Boom. You can buy what you want to go to. You know, there's events Thursday, uh, events Friday, events Saturday, events Sunday. And you can buy a pro pass and go to everything. Or you can say, hey, you know what? I only want to go to the Saturday conference day, you know, where all the speakers are. And we have a big uh, casino party that night that we did last year for the first time. And people loved it. But you can say we're doing that again. But you could say, I just want to go to Saturday. That's all I want to go to. And the Saturday ticket will get you into the workshops on Friday. You know, so actually it's like a day and a half ticket. But then we have a party Saturday night. I, I throw pretty good parties. You oh, can. for sure. <laughs> yeah, so Saturday night, I mean, that party Saturday night costs like almost 50 grand I'm having. So I throw a good party. So uh, we're having a party Saturday, Friday night. So you can go, okay, I want to go Saturday, Friday, and Friday night. Or you can say, heck, I'm getting there for the workshops that are on Friday. I want to go to the welcome to BitBlock Boom party Thursday night. Or you might be your flight is on Sunday at four o'clock in the afternoon. You can go to BitBlock brunch for one more shot. So you can absorb as much of my conference as you want to absorb. It makes it, sometimes I, like I said, it makes it for the employees hard. They're all like, come on, we just need one ticket. It's a lot easier if we just have to check them in for one thing, you know, but because uh, we've got to have check-in everywhere where people are registering you know, and getting their badges. But it's a Bitcoin only conference. That's all we talk about is Bitcoin. The vendors are notified. They've already been notified. Anyone that's a sponsor has a table. They can't show anything at their booth that's not Bitcoin. And by that, I don't, I don't say, I, I mean, any other, any cryptocurrency they can't show. For instance, last year I had a realtor, you know, that wanted to yeah, sponsor the bag because he's hoping people, so people like that, but you can only have Bitcoin. You can't show any shit coins at all. You can't even have them on a banner. I mean, if you go, Joe's Bitcoin company in the bottom, it said Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Zcash. You couldn't have that. You'd have to cover up that bottom. So we're pretty strong on that. And you're not even allowed really to talk about Bitcoin. I mean, anything except Bitcoin. And people come and report them to me. I mean, last year I had to go talk to two people and uh, tell them, hey, I've had several reports. You're talking about whatever shitcoin it was and you can't do it. You're going to have to stop. Or I'll ask, I have to ask you to leave. And they go, oh, I wasn't talking about. I said, no, you were. Three people told me. They got better things to do than to come make this up. So, okay, I won't do it anymore then. So that's, we're real serious about being a Bitcoin only conference. You know, there are all kinds of conferences and there are plenty of conferences that are cryptocurrency conferences. There are plenty of them. I just don't want to run a cryptocurrency conference. I wanted a Bitcoin conference because I'd been to plenty of cryptocurrency conferences. So that's, that's yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, of course. I guess what BitBlock Boom is about and what we do. Yeah, sure. And I think one thing with conferences is they it takes a few years for them to really build up a good reputation, right? And I think that's something, to your credit, It the show started in, uh, was it 2018 or 2017? I think it was Probably 18. 2018. Probably yeah. 2018. Yeah. And so I think... Yeah, this, so this is our fifth year, so it'd be 18. Yeah. And so 
you know, at eighteen in twenty eighteen, it was more like a bear market, bear cycle, and kind of the people who show up during a bear market are the hardcore, you know, the really committed people. And and then over time, it grows. And I think a part of that though is also having a good reputation and continued growth over those years and so it can sort of start out as a smaller thing and then it's grown into a bigger thing well i've tried to create a uh, family reunion here where you go it's the one place you go every year where you know you're going to see all these friends of yours it's not so big like i when i started the show i asked you did i see you in miami i can't even remember you know it's so big and i saw so many people but at bit block boom it's big enough to work but it's still small enough that you can see everybody and so Every year you go, the goal is every year people go, hey, I got to go to this one. This is where I see everybody at. This is like my family reunion. And that's what I'm trying to create here is the atmosphere. And, you know, and during the event, we offer next year's tickets at a super reduced rate for the people who are there. Kind of like, hey, you came and supported us this year. Here's us giving back to you. You can come again next year and it's going to be half of what it's going to be later. And it's a but you got like a certain amount of time to buy these tickets. So. It's like giving back because I want those people coming back every year. And those people know, you know, if you've come, I got one guy who's come all five years. You know, a lot of people have come all four. But the first year we only had about 35, 40 people. So I've only had one that's come every year. COVID cut off a lot of people's uh, streaks except for this one guy. So these, but these people come every year and they know they're going to wait until the conference is over to get their ticket. I mean, because they know they're going to have some time period to get it at a super reduced rate because we want the family all there. You know, new people joining the family, well, they got to pay a little more until they become family. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, anything in particular people uh, should look forward to this year in terms of, um, you know, speakers, uh, workshops, things like that? Well, uh, one thing, uh, well, we have Jack Mollers is our kickoff speaker. Uh, this year and strike is sponsoring our casino night that we have saturday night did you go to the casino night yes last year? i did yeah it was good fun i was on the poker that tables yeah yeah that was fun so he, they're sponsoring our uh casino night this year but we're doing a couple of new things one thing we have which is almost sold out is on thursday we're doing uh, rented as i said earlier two charter buses and we're going out to riot blockchain and we're doing a tour if you've never been to a big mining facility that's really one to see I mean, I went out there and I've been in Bitcoin for a while and I was like impressed. I'd never been to one, but they've got traditional mining like you see all the time stacked up, 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 tons of mine, lots of acreage. But they also their newest thing is they're into the immersion mining and you get to see and you get to go into tanks and see them and you stick your finger in the liquid, drop your phone in there if you want uh, see that it doesn't hurt your phone. I think you can drink it, they said, but I'm not going that far. So th- we'll go out there and then we'll have a barbecue dinner and then we'll come back and uh uh, then that night's party. And then Friday, Thursday, the Friday, Saturday, we're doing the first Bitblock Boom chess tournament. So, and we're working on the prizes still for that. So people Friday will play the preliminary rounds. And then I think 20 people will go to Saturday's rounds for the final. And we're doing a little bit different than other people do, which I think is kind of fun. We're doing a uh, bracket, you know, like you'd see in the basketball game with people's names on it. And it moves as they move and people can walk by and go, oh, Jack Mahler's is playing at two o'clock i want to come back right yeah that. well i'm sure jack yeah, mouse will be in... the obvious obvious favorite but uh it'll be fun to see well, he's, who gets he's not further. even registered yet but uh <laughs> but but that would be an example but i think it'll be fun for people to see you know then we'll bring the it'll finish before the conference is over and we'll bring the winner on stage and have a little uh ceremony and give them like this really goofy trophy or something as the first bit block boom chess champion so those are fun things we're adding um the conference itself uh you know one thing about my conference is 
uh, that a lot of conferences you go to, people speak 45, 50 minutes. You know, they work on hour clocks, basically, and there's a little break. I work on, as you know, 25-minute clocks for speakers. Then there's five minutes for questions. I found myself as a speaker at a lot of events, sometimes I'll, I'll speak, and I don't know if everybody does this, but I'll do my whole thing, uh, show, and I'll practice it, and I'll look and go, shit, that's only 40 minutes. I got to add some more stuff to this. And then I said, well, why don't we just do it the opposite way and go, wow, that's 35 minutes. I got to get rid of 10 minutes worth of filler. And so my uh, sessions are quick. 25 minutes for talking, five minutes for Q&A. Reason only five minutes. These people are there all day. It's not like they flew in just to speak and they're leaving. They're probably going to be, you probably met them at the party last night. You'll see them at the party that night. And then what that avoids is how many times have you been to a conference, Stefan, and you said, man, I wanted to see Joe and Tom, but they both spoke at the same time. Stops that from happening because they have one room with as many speakers in it as people would have with two rooms. You know, so I think and then people who are speaking, they come out of the audience because they're sitting there listening to the sessions, too. You know, when they get through, they're not taking off. They're going out in the audience to sit down or in the hallway to network. Yeah, and I think that's a good point as well around the vibe as well because some conferences it is very like that big name speaker will just come in, they'll do their thing and then just just leave and there's no chance to actually interact with the audience and just the people who came to see that person. And so, yeah, I definitely find that with BitBlock Room, you actually get more of a chance to actually interact with the speakers because they're in and around the conference. So it is a different vibe. So that's definitely something I've noticed that's really good about BitBlock Room and, and the vibe that's created. If you knew how many times I've heard someone say something like, this is one that sticks out, for example. They said, I was in the party on Friday night, and I look over by the bar, and there is um, Pierre Rochard and Saifedina Moose standing at the bar having a drink. So I went and ordered a drink and stood by them, and they, we all started talking. It was fantastic. You know, they talked. I could ask them questions. We were talking about Bitcoin. So I actually think, you know, I've created a networking event. Not a con. I know it's a conference, but it's really a networking event. It's not a show. It's a, an event where you go to network. I have networking events at nights and the daytimes, you know. But everything I do is around networking rather than. If you go out in the hallway, and I know you have because you were there last year. If you go out in the hallway while someone's speaking, there may be as many people standing in the hallway as there is in the conference room, because they're all standing there networking. You know, they're all standing there wanting to talk and they're going, yeah, I, I know what Joe's got to say up there. <laughs> I don't want to hear that again. I'd rather meet and talk with you guys I don't know and meet some more Bitcoiners, you know. So it's I, I, I'm kind of proud that it's become a networking event. But like I said, I tried to create a conference I would want to go to. And I never go in conference rooms and watch conferences. I always hang out in the hallway. Yeah, right. You know? That's a common thing yeah. with Bitcoin conferences as well. As people say, oh, look, it's all going to be live streamed. I can watch it later. I, I won't get the chance to meet these people other than this event. Yeah. So definitely I've seen that also. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'll be bringing my wife along as well. And so that'll be a really fun, good chance to meet uh, everyone again and hang out and just, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so uh, well, I've also made a yeah. uh, discount code for you or your people if they are interested in anything. If they use the code word Lavera, they'll get 10% off their tickets. So I do want to make sure I mention that for them. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, guys. So bitblockboom.com, code Lavera. And um, I'm looking forward to the event. And uh, Gary, anywhere, anything else um, you want to leave the listeners with? Well, if they are interested in the book, go to bitcoinandtheamericandream.com. I think you can buy hardbacks, paperbacks, and Guy Swan is doing the audio version. 
So that should come out in audio, Audible soon. Fantastic. If you want to follow me, I'm just Gary Leland. I'm Gary Leland everywhere, though, I think. So just Gary Leland. Not a lot of people have a, an old boomer name like me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got in early, Gary. But uh, yeah, uh-huh. thank you again for joining me, Gary. Hey, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I look forward to seeing you uh, in uh, at BitBlock Boom. Maybe I'll see you in Austin or something before then. Who knows? Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 382. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.